I mentioned, we are blessed to have not a stranger among us, a well-minded brother in the Lord who has served God, continues to serve God faithfully. Neil is going to come and bring the word to us and remind us again of the worthiness of our God to be praised, especially after 173 years. So welcome, brother. Good to have you with us and good to have you back. really is good to be back with you today. It's been a little while since I've had an opportunity to uh, preach to you as a congregation. I have, uh, of course, conducted a few funerals here, most recently Dave Rigitko's, and it was an honor to do that. And uh, uh, it's always a pleasure to know uh, that you're uh, conducting a service for someone who has already been conducted to heaven uh, by Jesus. So that's, uh, that's a good thing. I may have said this before, and I, I hope, it, uh, I hope it, you'll forgive me if I, if I said it before and forgot that I've said it before, uh, but I love your organist. <laughs> I, you know, uh, I get around. I get around to a lot of churches. I get to preach lots of places, and uh, I really do love your organist. <laughs> She's my favorite, without any question. Well, open your Bibles to Psalm 150. The last psalm, the longest book of the Bible, but one of the shorter chapters in the Bible, in the uh, in the book of Psalms. I wasn't sure I was going to read the scriptures. I would have had the page open, Jerry. I'm sorry. Your God's word. Praise God in his sanctuary. I'm sorry, let me start from the beginning. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the lute and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with clanging cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Pray with me. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. If you listen quietly, use your imagination. If you listen with anticipation, if you listen desiring to glorify God and enjoy him forever, you can hear the clarion call of God's trumpet calling you 
to praise the Lord. That trumpet, a shofar, a ram's horn, has only one or two notes, but sends a message loud and clear using different length notes. The message it sends in this psalm is clear. It is a call to come and praise the Lord. That trumpet is a key instrument in God's praise band. It is listed as the first instrument in your anniversary theme verse, Psalm 150, verse 3. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the lute and harp. It is a fitting theme verse for a church founded in 1846. 173 years later, still heeding the trumpet call to praise the Lord and join in worship. I just need to say, I don't mean to be mean or anything, but I know most of you. And I got to tell you, 146 years years ago, they must have done some heavy praying. (laughs) I hope you're doing heavy praying for the next 173 years. This verse also has something to teach you. The current third congregation. After the trumpet, the lute and harp are mentioned in this verse. These two instruments are the heart of the band. The lute and the harp set the tone, the mood of the music. Let me explain. When Peter Nero was conducting the Philadelphia Pops, it was like any, it was unlike any other. Pops Orchestra. Pops orchestras are usually symphony orchestras that play more popular music. Nero organized his orchestra differently. Heather, would you bring me my bottle of water that I forgot to bring? Front and center was the piano. Surrounding the piano was a jazz combo. His bass player, his drummer, his electric guitar player. Then the orchestra surrounded his combo. I'll get get taken care of about that later, I'm sure. (laughs) Then the orchestra surrounded his combo. The heart of the orchestra and the music was his jazz combo. It produced a deliciously different sound than any other Pops orchestra that you've ever heard, including the one up in Boston that's so famous. That's what's happening here. The praise band is built to certain specifications. It's designed to accomplish its purpose. The trumpet calls you to praise the Lord. The lute and harp provide the melody and harmony needed to praise the Lord. The progression of instruments in this psalm adds depth, depth, rhythm, voice, and even dance. God is teaching you a lot more about his praise band than the instruments, though. Elder Wayne Dyson is fond of saying, where is Wayne Dyson? Oh, he must, there he is. Oh, there he is. Elder Wayne Dyson is fond of saying, a text without a context is a pretext. 
That said, the context of this verse is set in the first two verses of the psalm. The context will help you understand the specifics of the third verse and the balance of the psalm properly. This context will keep you from using this text as a pretext. This psalm begins with these simple words. Praise the Lord. Here the praise, the halla part of the word, is both intense and imperative. The Yah is an abbreviation for Yahweh, God's most personal name. So in context, it's important that you praise the Lord and do it thoroughly. The very word hallelujah teaches you an important lesson. The third commandment is to not take the Lord's name in vain. Weak, thoughtless, frivolous references about God are vain use. Hallelujah expresses the commandment. It's important to praise God with intensity, which is how the word is stated, and not frivolously toss out a PTL whenever you feel good. For those who don't know the lingo, that's praise the Lord. God wants you to think about why you are praising him. So go ahead and sing, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. But, not because it gets your heart beating, that's about you. Sing it because you have a Psalm 150 reason to be praising the Lord. It tells you the object of your praise is the Lord. This is a problem. It's a problem for me and it's a problem for you. You say, you have an eye problem. You look out for number one. What's in it for me? You may not run around praising yourself. Well, except until you praise yourself for not praising yourself. You are so totally depraved that when you do the right thing, it is mostly for selfish reasons. It makes you feel good. It keeps you from getting into trouble. I think that's one of the reasons we studied in, in uh, Sunday school this morning. You know, thou shalt not kill. You know, it's a heart problem. It's only because you're selfish that you don't act it out, not that you don't lust after the death of someone else. You do the right thing because it makes you look good, but you're not doing it to praise God. Praise to you and not to the Lord is your nature. This psalm has one point and one point only. It is repeated and repeated. Please make note of this. I'd like you to do it in your Bibles, but you've got a piece of paper in your bulletin. You can do it there if you don't want to write in your Bible. Write it at the top of the psalm. Ready? Only praise God. Praise only God. Praise God only. You got it? It teaches you who, what, when, and where, why, and how, as we continue on, so that you can Praise God only. It's easy to worship the things God created. 
It could be nature. It's beautiful for certain. It could be money. God created economy. It could be, a th- it could be power. God created authority. It could be lots of other things. These are God's creation. My theology professor would say, David can verify this, he is not it and it is not he. He also says, God made a duck, but he doesn't go quack. You get the point. Don't praise what God created. Praise God. Now you are a creation of God. You are the highest in God's created beings just under angels. But you are not God because you have dominion over his creation. You are not the object of praise. God and God alone is the object of praise. When you praise God, be certain it is praise to God and nothing less and nothing else. Praying. Lord, praise be to you for answering my prayer about needing a car and sending me a Bentley. Amen. That is not praising him. That is bragging. How many testimonies have you heard which ought to be praised to God but would better be called bragamonies? I was the worst sinner. I did this, and I did this, and I did that. Stop! What you did is not who and what God does. You don't need to know the sin. We don't need to know the sins that God saved you from. God explains them all in his word thoroughly and their consequences. Next, in this psalm, you are told where to praise the Lord. You are to praise God in his mighty firmament and his sanctuary. Praising God isn't just blurting out, praise the Lord. Though it's imperative to praise him, there are boundaries which will magnify your praise. Let's start with the mighty firmament. You first hear of firmament in Genesis 1 on the second day of creation. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and delivered the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. Now that might be a little confusing, but think of it as being fulfilled in Noah's day when the water came up from underneath and down from up above. So everything in between is the firmament. We can call it our atmosphere. Let's think of it in terms of Colossians 1.16, however. For by him all things were created that are in the heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Simply put, praise God anywhere in his creation. His mighty firmament is made for his praise. It isn't made for your comfort, your enjoyment, your pleasure, 
though those things are in God's design. It's made so that you see God in every corner of his mighty firmament. And wherever you go, you will have cause to praise the Lord. God tells you to worship there because that's why it's there. Next, you're told to worship God in his sanctuary. Now, given it's a psalm, you'd likely think of the temple. It would be odd, though, that God would tell you to worship in a specific location, his sanctuary, after telling you to worship in all of his creation. It's actually telling you something incredible. You see, the sanctuary isn't a place. It's a state of mind. Listen to Ezekiel eleven sixteen, spoken when God's people were about to be scattered to all these heathen nations. Thus says the Lord God, although I have cast them far off among the Gentiles, and although I have scattered them among the countries, yet shall I be a little sanctuary for them in the countries where they have gone. Clearly, that cannot be a place. It certainly is a state of mind. A wonderful, glorious state of mind in unsettling circumstances. Add the words of Jesus to the woman at the well in John 4. The hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Not a place but a state of mind. Then apply Revelation 3.20, which seems to correspond to Ezekiel's comforting words. The words of Jesus. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. What a wonderful sanctuary, the very presence of God. So now you understand you intently worship God in his place for his glory. Hallelujah. Suggesting a place, a state of mind also tells you where you cannot praise God. His mighty firmament, especially stated as his sanctuary, is not a haven for sin. It's not the horrible pit and miry clay spoken of in Psalm 140, but rather the rock that he sets you on when he saves you and lifts you to safety and his sanctuary. Listen to Psalm 40, verse 2. He also brought me up out of a miry, of a, out of a horrible pit, out of a miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my steps. And then this, he has put a new song in my heart. Are you ready? Praise to our God. 
Come on, hallelujah. Come on. Honestly, you could do better than that. <laughs> now you know where to praise the Lord. The psalm next tells you why. Psalm 150, verse 2. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. The Bible is full of the mighty acts of God. It begins with creation. God made things by the power of his word. Let there be, and there was. He made time, and he made time stand still. He flooded the world, and he opened the seas so people could pass through, his people, and then he closed them. He made axe heads swim. He opened the doors to prisons, and on, and on, and on. He sent his son, Jesus, who died for you and was raised from the dead. Power over death is certainly a mighty act. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord for his mighty acts. Sorry, I'm so thirsty. We, don't, we weren't allowed to go in our kitchen this morning, so we didn't have much to drink. Praise him for his great greatness. That's how I translate the second part of verse 2. God is excellent in every way. God is great simply by virtue of being God, but it simply can't be expressed by being great. It's great greatness. It's everything great can be and nothing less. You see it in his acts. You learn it in his providence. You embrace it in his redemption from your sin. Praise the Lord because of his mighty acts and his great greatness. Hallelujah. Third church has faithfully taught the mighty acts of God and the great greatness of God throughout its history. That's really the only reason to celebrate a church's anniversary. It's the flip side of God's faithfulness to this church. Soon, think about this, soon, if you continue on this path, for centuries... This church will have prepared its members, now you, to leave this sanctuary and to go into the mighty firmament of God and praise the Lord for his mighty acts and his great greatness. This psalm is teaching you to use all the things you've learned from his word here at 3rd. You know what you are. You know what you are to do. You know the where, the why, and the who. And now the psalm turns to the how. The psalmist describes a band. That's the reason for the sermon title, God's Praise Band. It doesn't limit praising God to these instruments or even to a band. It does teach you through these instruments how to praise 
the Lord. They teach you praising the Lord is not simply an emotional release. It is a joyous, glorious, imperative, and intensive expression of the God the psalmist is teaching you how to praise. The list of instruments begins in your theme verse. Three instruments are listed. They are the lute, the harp, and the trumpet. The lute is similar to our guitar. Some in the Bible are even described as ten-stringed. Who doesn't like to listen to a ten-string guitar when it's played properly? The lute is a melodic instrument. The harp also is a melodic instrument. Its longer strings and larger frame create fuller tones, which played in a swirling motion can transport you to another place. They really aren't flashy instruments. Played with, the, played with skill, though, they can create dramatic, beautiful, and stirring music. If you were here last night, you know exactly what I mean. There is substance to what these instruments produce. There is depth which strings produce. They teach you again that you are praising God, his mighty acts, his great greatness. There is nothing shallow here. If I'm off key, forgive me. We have come to worship. We have come to worship. Do you see me, Lord? Isn't it great that I'm praising you? Look, I've got my holy hands. Well, maybe they're not holy, but we lift holy hands in the air. Aren't you so pleased that I am here? Well, maybe when you lift your hands like that, they'll get holy. I don't know, but... Uh, the only answer to that is no, no, no. We, us, our, mine, me, I, my, why? Praise the Lord, not yourself. Praise God for his mighty works, his great greatness, not your pitiful and selfish praises. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her and for her life he died. Praise the Lord. There is no me, I, we, us, or my. Just Jesus. Now, this does not rule out extemporaneous expression of praise, but it does put it in perspective. This psalm comes as the last chapter in the largest book of the Bible. It teaches you so very much about God. It starts by telling you the blessing of the man who meditates on the law of the Lord both day and night. And ends with this psalm, which tells you to praise the God of mighty acts and great greatness. The very things you've learned in this book. Our praise should be informed. 
Our studies should prepare us to praise God. Now, I think Winston Churchill's approach to speaking is the best advice about being extemporaneous. Working at his desk, he was asked what he was doing, and he said, I'm just preparing my impromptu speech. Or perhaps you would prefer Mark Twain's thoughts. It usually takes me more than three weeks to prepare a good impromptu speech. In other words, when you wing it, you're not following the teaching of this psalm. The instruments in this psalm, Tim Carroll, our violinist last night, pointed out to me last night, represents all the families of instruments that tells you something else about God's praise band. The band is complete. Everything you need to form a band and produce the praise required in this psalm is represented in this band. It's not thrown together. It's not a pickup sort of band. It is a complete band, for that's what it takes to praise the Lord. He's told you how to form the band perfectly, fully, completely. There is melody, harmony, and rhythm in God's praise band. It's not about genre. It's, not, it's about the fullness God tells you must be present when you praise him. He is creator, sustainer, savior, redeemer, and king. He tells you how to praise, why to praise, and most importantly, who to praise. The band isn't shallow. The tunes aren't empty. The content is biblical, his mighty acts, his great greatness. There is another lesson to learn today. It's from the trumpet call to praise the Lord. Now, there are many other references to trumpets in the Bible. Most of them are calls to come together, to warn of an approaching enemy, to cause military victory, or to worship. One reference warns you to not be sounding brass. Perhaps the most striking reference is 1 Corinthians 15, 52. It tells you of the last trumpet. The words... For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Maybe Handel's Messiah is running through your head. There is no greater act of God that you can anticipate than the sounding of this last trumpet. It is the great call which will take you to the great wedding feast, gathered around the table of God, raised incorruptible, changed to your eternal bodies, your nature now pure and holy. In a few minutes, you will gather around the Lord's table. It is a table of remembrance, but also one of anticipation. The trumpet of God has called you to this 
So praise the Lord as you partake of this spiritual meal. Since this meal reminds us of God's remedy for our sin, consider the things that you've learned today about praising the Lord. Is that what you came here today to do? Did it matter to you who was here or how they dressed or what their political views are? Does their manner of life disturb you so you are agitated worshiping with them? Do you harbor ill will in your heart with someone here? Are you bitter? Do you express disgust if certain doctrines are expressed in biblical terms, but they're not your cup of tea? I don't mean heresy. Did you come to make yourself feel better or appear better or to be holier than now? Or did you come to praise God for his mighty acts and his great greatness? If not to praise him, then before you partake of this meal and before you can really praise the Lord properly, you need to seek God's forgiveness. His word teaches you how thoroughly and complete he forgives. And it is a mighty act of God for which you can then, are you ready? Praise him. Hallelujah. In closing, there is one final element of God's praise band that we can all participate in together. I'm not talking about the dancing. You saw me try to move up here, so we're not going to do that. After all the other instruments, the reasons, and the object have been identified, you are invited to join God's praise band. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So instead of closing with a spoken prayer, I'll ask you to stand in a moment and join me as we sing a prayer of praise. We're going to do it a cappella, so we're not going to do a tune that is difficult for me to hit some of the notes. We will use the f historic form of the doxology. Please stand. And if someone wants to help me with the praise, we can. <laughs> praise God from whom all blessings flow.